Okay, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Let's pray. Father, may we feel the need as believers, if we are believers, to be built up, to be encouraged, to be helped by you through others. And may we feel the need to be a vessel, to be a blessing and an encouragement and a help to others. And to that end, I ask that you allow what I have to say to help us on that path to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Back in 1981, as a 19-year-old, lost, messed up, pothead, for a while I was dropping acid, eating hallucinogenic mushrooms, all while the time in which God was grabbing hold of my life. And in the spring of 81, I had what was known in the drug culture a bad trip. That changed my life. And over the next four or five months, I had experienced almost daily what is called in the drug culture flashbacks. A debilitating lack of ability to control my mind or my thoughts. And it is just almost indescribable. The fear and the pain of such. After a few months of that, God then in His sovereignty finally led me to a local church with believers and a Bible and I can open it and read it and talk about it and hear preaching. And I mean, you have one of the most excited young 20-year-olds now in the world. And for those first two months, unbelievable. Except I had one dirty little secret that I never shared with another human being. And that was this horrific, ongoing experience of flashbacks and why they were there and what I did in my sin to get them. And then, about two months into being at that church, there was a guest speaker who came. Didn't know me from Adam, never heard of him. I'm just this new found believer. And during the service, he asked me to stand up and he asked my name. I said, my name's Joe. And then he started speaking. He started giving me scriptures about forgetting the past, forgetting the past and what lies behind. And then he said in the exact words, no more flashbacks for Joe. And then he had the congregation say it three times to me as I crumpled in my seat in tears. I cannot tell you what that moment did for me. The gospel was so precious. Salvation was so precious. I found Jesus' community. And I had this little secret I thought I had to keep to myself as I would lay down at night. And all of a sudden, my mind would start to lose it again. And I'd pray, and I'm wrestling with it, and I could never share it. And in there, God for me did this. Joe, I know everything. I know everything about you. I know the torment you're in. And we're going to take care of that. 
the profundity of that moment that God let another human being speak those words to me. It's incalculable what it did to me. This week is week number 10 in the series titled The Person in the Work of the Holy Spirit. And so before I leave the topic of spiritual gifts that we've been in for the last two weeks, and now the third week this week, I want to speak specifically about the gift of prophecy. First, what I want to show is that we should not limitedly understand it or define prophecy as is given to us in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Do not define it limitedly as those people speaking about what may come to pass in the future. And secondly, I'm going to try to show that the gift of prophecy is not and should never be interpreted as an inerrant, infallible word from God. I'm going to try to show that the gift of prophecy that is operating in, in the church in the first century, and I believe today, is a human being giving a report, an interpretation through their own personality, in their own brokenness, of something that is spontaneously dropped into their heart, into their mind, by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to show this first, from what I see in Scripture. Secondly, I'm going to speak a little bit about my experience as a Christian in the body of Christ for the last 31 years. I cannot extricate myself from that experience, though all experiences are to be examined and judged by the Scripture. And thirdly, what the debt I owe to Wayne Grudem in his book titled The Gift of Prophecy, trying to wrestle with lots of stuff in my own life, my past, and spitting out sticks, what the Bible says, and experiences. So, let's start with the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah, Moses, Jeremiah, Daniel. The Old Testament prophets spoke the very word of God. They spoke with absolute divine authority. That's why when you pick them up today, what is written and left to us by God's sovereign providence, and, and we read throughout Jeremiah, throughout Isaiah, you will see these words constantly. Thus saith the Lord. And when we open up our Bibles and we read that, we are reading the very Word of God to us. The inerrant, the infallible Word. So much so that as you pick up the Old Testament prophets, and they say, thus saith the Lord, and you refuse to believe it, you are refusing to believe God Himself. When you pick them up and they say, Thus saith the Lord, and you refuse to obey what they say, you are disobeying God Himself. The Old Testament prophets, here's a word that I'm going to coin for you so you understand where my mind's coming from. They were revelatory spokesmen. They were the vessel through which God was communicating His doctrine, redemption, purposes, to the extent He was unveiling Himself, teaching about reality. They were revelatory vessels through which He did that. Okay, are you with me? Now, here's the question. Since... Jesus came on the scene. Have there been any other peoples like those Old Testament prophets? Revelatory spokesmen. The answer is yes. Except Jesus did not call them prophets. He called them 
apostles. His personal sent ones. They were personally sent out by Jesus and even sent out post-resurrection of Jesus and they are on a par with Moses, with Jeremiah, with Isaiah, with Ezekiel. Now, just let me take that. If you want to know what I really mean, go back to week two of this series. I spent a whole sermon titled, The Holy Spirit is the Author of Scripture. And I mean these revelatory spokespersons, the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles. It's laid out in week two in this series. Find it on our website. Now, hold that in your head now, okay? And let's open our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Day of Pentecost, 120 of those believers in the upper room pour out into the streets or towards around the temple. And now Peter begins to preach, starting with verse 16 of Acts 2. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. So so Peter says, the last days of dawn, and, and, and most every scholar knows that that term last days means Jesus has come, and so between His first coming and His second coming, which has not happened yet, are the last days. And so there's this implication that this dynamic of whatever he's talking about ought to be happening during the church age, including prophecy. At the end of his sermon, you just go down to verse 38. The end of verse 38, Peter then says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he just defined there in Joel, including prophecy. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. I don't think he means their distance in miles. He means distance in time in 2012. And all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Every Christian, every born-again person, every believer receives manifestations, whether they recognize it or not, of the Holy Spirit. As we saw Paul write last week, and after Peter's sermon, 25 years later, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 12, starting with verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And to one is given this, and to one is given that, and to one is given the other thing, and to one is given prophecy. Okay, Old Testament prophets... New Testament apostles, revelatory spokesmen, authority. They're speaking the Word of God. You got that, right? I'm clear on that? Now, 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 here's a question. What we've just been reading here in Acts and in 1 Corinthians. This term prophecy, post-Jesus, in the church age that they're referring to. Here's the question. Did Joel's word prophecy, when he penned it, the Old Testament prophet Joel, or when Peter was quoting it in his sermon, or when Luke was recording what Peter quoted of Joel's sermon, did the word prophecy mean these people will be prophesying in the sense of the Old Testament prophets as revelatory spokespersons? God's revelation to man. Inerrant and infallible. That's the question. It's a really big question. When the little old lady in the church of Corinth stood up and prophesied, whatever Paul's talking about here, 
Should have they scrambled for pens? Write that down and let's get that in the Bible. Because she prophesied. My answer is, what prophecy means in Acts chapter 2, slaves free, females male, young, old, with the outpouring of the Spirit, with the gospel of Jesus, that that is not at all what the Old Testament prophets were doing. It is something categorically different. And if I did not think it was categorically different than the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, I would be a cessationist. The gift of prophecy since the coming of Christ during the church age is a totally different category than the prophets and apostles speaking the very word of God. And that's what I want to try to show now in the next 30 minutes or so. Let me start off with this very clear and foundational statement. The only authority for all faith, doctrine, what you are to believe, who is God and what is the gospel and how are we to live. That means practice. The only authority for faith, doctrine, practice is the Scripture. The prophetic writings of the Old Testament and what the New Testament apostles had delivered to us directly or indirectly. The gift of prophecy there in the New Testament church does not at all carry with it anything close to the authority over people's lives that the Scriptures do. So, real slow, nobody misunderstood, a couple statements. Prophecy is not the very Word of God. It's not. There's a prophecy. Let's assume it exists, okay? There's a prophecy that is equal to the Bible. That, that is the sure, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. It is not. That and should never be taken that way. In fact, prophecies operating in the church, as they manifest, are to be judged. They are to be tested. They are to be sifted by the inerrant, infallible word, the truth. So what is the gift of prophecy then? So if you would, either listen or turn first to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. At the end of his short letter, you can read the letter probably in about 16, 17 minutes, if you just read normally. At the end, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, Starting with verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Okay, got it? If Spirit's fire, don't throw a bucket of water and douse the flame of what the Spirit's doing in your midst. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Here, Paul says, test everything. Okay, now think with me. If these Christians in the city of Thessalonica thought that, and evidently they're sharing a word with Paul, this word called prophecies, right? Paul just assumes they know what they mean. If they thought that prophecies happening in their midst were anything on the level of the word of God delivered through Moses, or Paul, if they thought they were essentially, if that's prophecy, that's the word of God, then Paul would not have had to warn them not to despise this thing. I want you to see, three times in this very short letter, Paul has already said, you Thessalonians have welcomed the word of God joyfully three times. And then he says, oh, don't despise prophecies. It just, it seems to be very clear in Paul's mind 
And in the Thessalonians' mind, word of God, no problem. They embraced the gospel. They embraced the Hebrew scriptures. Yes, Paul, thank you. And Paul sees, but you're having a problem with something else. Despising something else other than the word of God. And that is prophecies. Now why? Because probably they're operating to one degree of another through, uh, well, sinful people. And it's becoming messy. And they're really tempted to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's just much easier. And so Paul says to them, don't do that. Don't despise them. And so it seems to be clear from this text that that thing called prophecy, according to the Apostle Paul, is different than the Word of God. The infallible, the inerrant, the authoritative Word of God. Because these Thessalonians did not at all despise. They welcomed joyfully the word of God. And Paul warns them, don't despise prophecies. So he says, test them though. So he thinks prophecies can come and you're going to test. And you're going to say, that's junk. Throw it out. He would never say that about Moses. He would never say that about his own word in his teaching. He actually, in the New Testament, keeps saying the opposite. Even if I come back and I, I differ with what I said before, throw me out, let me be damned. Because doctrine, the Word of God through the apostles and the prophets, is inerrant, it's infallible, and it's solid. And prophecy is something totally other than that. That's his point. Weed it out. Would Paul ever say, Test Deuteronomy. Test the Psalms to see what's true and not. Spit out the bad stuff of Jeremiah and keep the good. No, but he says that about this fluid, functional, in the community gift of prophecy. So what I'm saying at this point is there is something categorically different than the Word of God that we have in these 66 books. Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles. Okay, over here, something categorically different between that and whatever this gift thing is operating in the church called prophecy. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for a moment. In chapter 14, here's Paul dealing with this gift called prophecy and trying to bring correction and instruction to the church and how they should operate and be more loving and not be so screwy in the way they deal with this gift. And he writes in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. That suggests that the others who are listening in the congregation should test. Weigh it. What's being said? Very different. Would Paul say that about his own word? Would he say it about Peter's word? Would he say it about Daniel? Jeremiah? No, he wouldn't. See, this is what Paul's not doing. Go back to Thessalonians for a moment. Thessalonians, you have joyfully received the word of God. I'm so thrilled at what God is manifesting in your hearts as you receive the gospel in his very word to you. Oh, by the way, when little Miss Betty stands up in your congregation with, with a prophecy, oh, go ahead and receive that as the word of God to you. That's not what he says. He says, examine it, test it. See if there's anything good in there. What are you going to test it by? The Word of God. Something different than what that is. You're testing the prophecy by the Word of God. Look at verse 30. You're right there in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul writes to him, If a revelation is made 
to another sitting there, let the first person prophesying sit down. Be quiet. Would, would Paul, just theoretically, would he say that about Nathan the prophet? Oh, oh, Nathan, someone else has got a word right now. Just, 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 just I know, sit down. Don't think so. It's something categorically different than being a revelatory spokesperson. Look at verses 37 and 38, same chapter. If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or has that gift or he's spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I, an apostle, I, Paul, am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone, even you people who think you have to get the prophecy, does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, clearly again, Paul has this massive chasm of the difference between his word as an apostle and whatever words are spoken by the gift of prophecy in the congregation. Turn to chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. And just for a moment, just, just, just assume, because this seems to be what's happening, assume that in the church, while Paul is writing during his time in the 50s of the first century, that in the church in Thessalonica, there are verbal giftings of the Spirit that people are using and that Paul is going to bring some correction. He says, this is great, terrific, but you better learn how to judge this stuff. And he's going to essentially say, the teaching, the Word of God is solid. And I don't care what someone says claiming a gift. If it is against what the Word of God says, you know it's not God the Holy Spirit. Listen to chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians, start with verse 1. Now concerning, here's doctrine, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. And then he's going to go on to teach authoritatively about the end time. Words, whatever spirit people think they have, are judged by the, now we look this way, from this side of Paul, the written word of God, Old Testament, New Testament. Turn to Acts chapter 21 for a moment. Here's Paul. He's on the ship. He's making this journey at last to Jerusalem. Been waiting years to get back to Jerusalem with a bunch of money for the poor and all that and whatever else he had in mind. And we pick up in verse 3 of Acts 21. Luke gives us this. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they, these Christians in Tyre, they, through the Spirit, we're telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Well, now, what's going on here? Did Luke mean to communicate to us, oh, these Christians in Tyre, they had this idea that the Holy Spirit was somehow revealing something to them, but they were wrong. Because you know Paul went to Jerusalem, right? I don't think that's what he's communicating at all. He's communicating they did get something from the Holy Spirit. And they were right. And not only that, Luke let us know that every town he went to, the Spirit would speak through the people, and they would have these words, Paul, really bad stuff's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. Okay. I, think, 
think Paul knew this. He recognized the Holy Spirit works that way. It's true, and the Holy Spirit was preparing him. And, but as the people, now here's their interpretation. Here's the humanity coming in. This is what I think is happening. That's bad. We love you. Paul, don't go. And Paul knew that was not a command of the Lord whatsoever. He knew that was not the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to a little bit messiness of if the Holy Spirit reveals something to you. Test it, Paul. He tested it. Yeah, I know, you're right. I'm getting that testimony by the Spirit in every city. Oh, your, your command to me to not go? That, that's bad advice. I'm going. Consider one other thing. Apostolic succession. The apostles are going to die out. The foundation, the church, built on Christ. What are we going to do? Where are we going to get the Word of God? Well, their answer was not, don't worry about it, prophecy. Because they never saw prophecy in that category. It's not the answer. The answer is Timothy. Understand my teaching. Learn it well and teach it and train others to teach the old truth. That's the ongoing foundation of the Word of God to the church. It had never been this gifting of prophecy. They are in totally different categories. The warning that Paul gave in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 is just as valid today. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. And wander away into myths. All right. So again, what what is prophecy? What, what what's going on? One thing that prophecy operating in the church is not is that it is not the inerrant, infallible word of God, and should never be taken that way. It is Christians. Born again, sinful, fallible, finite, limited, bent personalities, which are all of us, human beings being saved. It's, it's, it's people within the church who speak aloud or pray aloud. I think it happens in prayer sometimes. You don't even know it. Or they sing it aloud. But what they're doing is prophecy is the reporting the interpreting of something that was just, where'd that come from? Dropped into one's heart by the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't have gotten there any other way, like through studying a, the Bible or, or something else or a conversation. We just dropped into there. And then what do I do with that? Why do I say it? A lot of times this happens and we Christians don't prophesy. We don't say anything, whether it was maybe to one person or to Congregation, we don't say anything because we're fearful. Is it? Is it not? Other times, people are very bold. They, they, they go to the school of the prophets. You know, there's some of these kind of craziness. Okay, I'm careful. And, and so then everyone wants to be a prophet, and then they get really confident. And they so-called prophesy, and it's not the Holy Spirit whatsoever, so therefore it's not the gift of prophecy. Test all things. If as I... Am arguing. Well, you know, let me just say this one other thing. Because some of you come from backgrounds where there was a culture, and that culture where uh, people would get up and preface their prophecy with, Thus saith the Lord, shouldn't be done, in my opinion. Because it's deceptive, ultimately. It, that, that, that tone, like an Old Testament prophet, brings with it that now what's going to be said is directly the Lord. As if you're an apostle. Or Moses. And it's just not true. It's probably just better to say, you know what? I think 
I don't know. I could be totally wrong. I could have just had bad pizza. But I think this thing's on my heart. I, I should maybe say this and if it's helpful to anyone. Great. Or not. I mean, what's wrong with that? It's safe, isn't it? And people can test it. And so if what I'm saying, that prophecy is not the very words of God, infallible, inerrant, then in what sense is it a gift of the Holy Spirit who himself is infallible and inerrant? If you're still there in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, I want you to look at verse 30 and 31 again. If a revelation is made to another sitting there while someone else is speaking, let the first sit down, be quiet, and let the other get up. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So, if a, if a revelation... Yeah, don't put Paul into our systematic theology. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. But don't put him into our systematic theological categories, which I like. We use Revelation is distinct from illumination. Revelation is the Bible given through men. Prophecy isn't that. Well, so don't put Paul there. Paul uses the word revelation in a different way than that systematic theology way. In this sense. It's a revealing. I think you just examine yourself. That he seems to be saying, so you're sitting there and a revelation is made known. What? There's something that comes, drops into the heart or to the mind. It's there. And you don't know how else it got there other than the Holy Spirit putting it there. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So, some bit, information, something, it just... I don't have this gift, so it's really hard for me to... I just don't seem to operate that way. But it's the text seems to say... No more flashbacks for Joe. How in the world did he know that? He's never seen me in his life. No human being ever knew I was going through that. A revelation seems to flash before a person's mind. Now, I think we, even those of us who don't think we have that gift like me, I have just a couple experiences in my life that have to do, let me, because there's two parts of, of prophecy. Let me, let me say that first. There is that part where something's dropped into your heart or to your mind. Where'd that come from? It's not prophecy yet because you haven't spoken it. The second part is now, as a finite, sinful human being, you're going to interpret it. You're going to mess it up. You may say it. Who is applied to it? That's the second part. Those two parts come together. Okay. But the first part, I, I just remember back in 1985, I had an experience, and reason like that sticks in my mind, this does not happen to me often at all in 32 years as a Christian. But I remember one time sitting in a meeting, and it wasn't a prophecy. It was for me just personally. I was sitting there being bored by what was being said, and all the, I, something just and I knew immediately three things. That was the Holy Spirit. And you who know me know I don't speak that way. I knew that then, though. That was the Holy Spirit just did that. All that stuff just flashed right before me. Secondly, I have no idea what it means. And thirdly, I will eventually know what it means. And so the point is not what that was right now. Some of you know what that was. But the, the Holy Spirit just reveals. Okay? That's what he says in verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Now look at verses 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. 
No more flashbacks for Joe. Now, someone who would not have claimed in his teaching that the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 were for his day, a guy named Charles Spurgeon, a lot of you like his devotionals, a cigar-smoking, overweight Baptist preacher of the... A reformed Baptist had a couple experiences. He was preaching, as he did every week to thousands in London. And one time, all of a sudden, he stopped in the middle of his sermon and said, Young man, the gloves in your pocket are not paid for. And then he went on preaching. On another occasion, he spontaneously said, There is a man sitting over there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sunday morning. He took nine pence, and there was four pence profit. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. And then he went on preaching. Both of those encounters resulted in a deep, Repentance of those two men who came up to him later. Now Spurgeon would not say, I have to get the prophet. He wouldn't have spoken in those languages. And this was not a regular thing. These were weird anomalies that happened in his ministry. This dynamic, I think, happens when we don't know it sometimes. It can happen in prayer. You know there's prayer? And then there's prayer, prayer, prayer. Wow, what happened there? Okay. And... Sometimes you don't know why you, or as you're listening to another person in a group, wow, they just started praying. And if you're the prayer, where did that come? You had no idea. You had no purpose or plans for that. And you find out three weeks later from that other person in that group, man, God really, just listening to you pray, the words you used, God knew I needed to hear those words. And just, it was very encouraging. It happens that way. Fourteen years ago, my, my wife and I, drove 80 miles away on a Sunday morning to a house church and got crammed into this little living room with about 12 to 15 people. Not a soul knew who we were. And we didn't know anybody there. And there was a guest preacher that morning crammed in that living room from Arizona. And when the sermon was done, at some point he, he asked me, what's your name? I said, Joe. He asked me to stand up, and he started speaking to me. And all I, can, I cannot tell you how important that encounter was that morning with the words he spoke. And then, but that was nothing compared to when he asked my wife to stand up. Remember that? Got to remember that. And I don't do this often. But as soon as he started speaking to her, I started bawling. Because I know her, and I knew what she was going through. And I knew this guy has no clue who she is. And I heard the words he's saying to her. Or the Apostle Paul spoke about this in verse 3 of chapter 14. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. There was no way in the world this guy would have known to speak those particular words to my wife unless they were just dropped into his mind or head by the Holy Spirit. I've been in other meetings where people practice prophecy and I mean go away angry and just say that was all a work of the flesh. I've been there. I remember a time back in 1987 at a Second year advance at Christ for the Nations Institute, being in absolute emotional turmoil and torment. And there was an all-night music and band playing as we were at this retreat center. And I mean, and f- some guy came up to me, a fellow student, I didn't know him from Adam, and he said, for two hours I've just been resisting, but I can't stop. I, I just feel like I'm supposed to say something to you. And he did. And it, again, it was just incalculable how that, through another human being, was really helpful to me at that moment in my life. So, prophecy, let's 
have a definition again. It's when a person, we Christians are speaking privately to another person or, or publicly, prompted by the Holy Spirit, and then we speak forth our interpretation of that prompting, and therefore that speaking forth of that prompting, something dropped in there, is not intrinsically the Word of God. Let me give an example to try to help make clear at least what I'm trying to say by using another verbal gift of the Holy Spirit called teaching. It's a gift of the Spirit. I hope it's operating right now. Teachers in the body of Christ, with that gift, teach with the prompting of the Spirit. And we talked last week what that means as you study to show yourself approved, you're thinking through text. And what is, it, what is a Bible teacher? What does a Bible pastor do? What does an expository preacher do? We take the infallible. Inerrant Word of God. That is the ground, the, the base, it's the source of the teaching. And we explain. We say, look. We draw conclusions. We say, it's like this. He's saying this. He is not saying that. Or let me give you another illustration of that. This is how this may apply to your life. That is all teaching. And I think if you've been a Christian long enough, if you're a genuine Christian, you know teachers, Bible teachers, preachers in your life, that the influence and the impact and the depth of your sanctification they have on your life is you would never want to get rid of it. You know how important that Holy Spirit gift of preaching and teaching can be for your Christianity. Right? And yet, None of you, at least none of you should, none of you would ever say, that's the gift of real preaching and real teaching, therefore I take that guy's word as infallible and inerrant. Ever. Don't ever do it. But it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not profoundly working in your life through that gift that takes the inerrant infallible and then you never assume the infallibility or the inerrancy of that gift. You're testing all things by the Scripture. So the Holy Spirit, who does give teachers to the church, according to Paul, with the gift of teaching, they teach the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Then why is the teaching not to be considered infallible? The answer is because the teacher, the preacher, whether he is St. Augustine, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, present-day R.C. Sproul, or thousands of small church unknown name pastors like me, the reason it is never to be considered infallible is because we take that which is infallible and it filters through the fallible. That's the way it is. It filters through the interpretive skills or the lack thereof. It filters through how do I apply it. It filters through our presuppositions that may read into the text. It filters through not having a night, good night's sleep. We can just go on and on and that's the reality. But it's still, nevertheless, a verbal gift of the Spirit. That is a blessing. Though it's infallible. Now, if, 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 if I got that over to you, it's going to help you at least understand what I'm trying to say about prophecy. Where a teacher starts with the written word of God, the infallible truth, it's why that, that, that office and what, what's going on is so far superior to the gift of prophecy operating in the church. The authority of the scripture being laid forth. There's no equality going on here with the gift of prophecy. But if you understand that then, where the teacher starts with the, the Word of God there. Well, the Holy Spirit moves in strange ways, just, sometimes just real small things. No more flashbacks for Joe. He, he just knew he wanted to do that for me. Okay, that drops in here. Okay, now I got the text. No more flashbacks for Joe. And now, as they deliver it, same thing, through a fallible person. Sometimes applied wrong. Sometimes, I don't even know who it's for. People wrestle with that. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Come on up, sir. Is that close? 
Therefore, if teaching and preaching by its definition is fallible, able to err. Are you with me on that? That's what fallible means. Able to err. But, having said that, it is highly beneficial to the body of Christ, and we would never want to get rid of it, then ought we not welcome the spontaneous operation of the Holy Spirit through the gift of prophecy for the building up of the body of Christ and the encouragement and consolation of one another. It's fallible, yes. But at times it can be very helpful. So I close with Paul. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. It may be very easy to start to do that, trust me, when it gets crazy. But don't do that, he says, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good. Let's pray. Father, is the truth that has cloaked particularly these last three weeks of the gifts of the Spirit. For love's sake. For wanting to be more of a blessing to others around us. Would you cause us to draw near to you daily saying use me in whatever ways. Cause my heart to be open in order to serve others in your manifold graces. Mm -hmm.